Want five-star service from a financial institution you can trust? Whitney Bank has you covered with nearly 200 locations across the Gulf South and products for businesses of all sizes. Learn more at HancockWhitney.com. Member FDIC. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. Additional support comes from Wyndham Garden Lafayette by Short & Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. From Social on Johnson Street in Lafayette, we're out to lunch with creative business consultant Aileen Bennett. It's business Acadiana style. Hi, I'm Aileen Bennett. Welcome to Out to Lunch. Over the last couple of years, we've had to deal with the fallout from big changes in the oil business. We have been far less battered by equally cataclysmic changes in the film business. If you haven't been keeping up, here's the thumbnail sketch. In 2003, the Louisiana legislature decided to attract film production to the state by giving film productions 30% of their budget in cash. That meant that if you were a Hollywood film producer making a $100 million movie here, the state of Louisiana would write you a check for $33 million. We started getting more film production than we'd ever dreamed of, so much that Louisiana came to be known as Hollywood South. It seemed like a win-win. Hundreds of local people became film crew and started working non-stop, mostly in Baton Rouge, New Orleans and Shreveport. In the middle of 2014, the legislature realized it was giving away about $250 million a year to already wealthy film executives, and that that figure was about to balloon. So they put a much lower cap on the amount of money they would give away in any one year. As a result, most of the film companies instantly picked up and left. Through all these Hollywood South ups and downs, here in Acadiana, we've managed to keep our film business humming along quietly. Actor and producer Marcus Brown was raised in Generette and lives in Lafayette. You may have seen Marcus in the Academy Award-winning movie, 12 Years a Slave, or in any of the 74 movies or TV shows he's been in since 1995. Marcus's production company, Believe Entertainment, has completed its second major motion picture. Marcus, welcome to Out to Lunch. Thank you, Eileen. Nice to be here. Andrew Morgan Smith comes from Lafayette and still lives here. Andrew is a musician. He writes and plays as much music as any working musician around here, but don't look for Andrew performing at the Blue Moon. If you want to hear Andrew's music, you can listen to the score of any of the 61 big screen movies and TV movies he's composed, including Jeepers Creepers 3 and the cult classic shark movies Ghost Shark and Trailer Park Shark. I've got to know more about Trailer Park Shark. Andrew, welcome to Out to Lunch. Hey, Lena, it's great to be here. Marcus. The two sides of your career in the film business are completely opposite. As an actor, you're not responsible for anything except your own performance. Even your food and transportation is taken care of while you're making a movie. But when you're producing, you're responsible for everything, including possibly making a movie that, for reasons out of your control, doesn't make any money. Why do you want to step away from being a movie star and take on all the stress that comes with producing a movie? What's the attraction for you? <laughs> um, interesting questions um, in relationship to performance yeah, I certainly wouldn't call myself a star I'm happy to call myself a working actor um, and when you're working on set 
uh, as an actor, the different gradations of budgets. So there are different amenities, experiences, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but my wife and I, Yvette, uh, have focused on uh, Believe Entertainment and its ability to really create a niche market for itself in Louisiana and then leverage that experiential knowledge and the relationships to expand beyond that. Uh, why make that um, why make that change or why make that leap? Um, there's one thing when you're an actor, you're there selling yourself and hoping that what you sell is something that someone wants to engage. As a producer, you're also selling, but you're also selling to, to, to put forth a vision where you can have uh, a great deal more influence in how things are uh, manifested. So in that regard, uh, it's, uh, it was a natural kind of inclination for us to really pursue how can we make a larger impact, not only within our community, but with uh, our artistic aspirations. So as an actor, are you always watching the producers and learning from them and kind of having that business brain on while you're acting, but are you watching what goes on to learn and what producers have you learned from? From day one, um, when I was in my master's program at LSU, one day we found out that uh, Dead Man Walking was going to be shot in Louisiana and we weren't allowed, per se, and uh, to uh, audition. Uh, at the time Not because we were training. never stopped you, Marcus. Right, so that was uh, an opportunity. So I said, I want to be on set. I want to see what I'm training for and preparing for. So I walked down to the field house and I said, you know, I'm a trained actor, so I'm, or at least training to be an actor in that scenario. So I wanted to get on set. So I did get on set uh, to watch uh, the making of Dead Man Walking as an extra. It was my first and last extra role, but it was really about me watching the environment that I wanted to be in. And once I became a working actor, I continued to watch the environment and the decision makers and how everything was put together. Um, I was also working on my dissertation when I was doing a television pilot for ABC, and I utilized that uh, experience to write and start developing my thesis for my dissertation. Um, and someone was saying, what are you doing? Why are you writing all this? Or, you know, in between uh, breaks or in between, you know, uh, takes, I was like, I'm writing my dissertation. Well, what do you want to do? And I was like, well, after watching this, I know I want to be a producer and watching how everything is put together. So hopefully that kind of gives you a perspective. That does. Andrew, composing music for movies is a highly specialized skill. Even though there are not many musicians who can do it, there's even fewer films made. So it's a very competitive field. With over, over 60 film credits, you seem to be very established. But in the film business, they say it doesn't matter how established you are, you're only as good as your last project. I guess that kind of Hollywood mentality is why you choose to live here and not in Hollywood. But do you see, think at some point, if you want those really big budget, A-list movie gigs, you're going to have to move there? I have a question in my life of how far, how big I want to get. Marcus would probably know better than myself, but you know, there's a handful of major movies made every year, you know, that, that would require you to be in L.A. size-wise. Um, but a lot of guys still have, they'll have, you know, their, their studio in L.A., but then they'll have, a, like, a place that they go off to that they work on, you know. There's a lot of, someone like Howard, um, Howard Shore, you know, writes in upstate New York, you know. So it's not that it can't happen. Um, right now I'm just kind of taking my time and... Uh, trying to figure out what the next direction needs to be you know um just because it's 
you know, I was up for a DreamWorks animation gig um, last month that I was one of two guys for, uh, up for. And, you know, that was a concern they had was where my location was and how I'm going to do it. But now, even if I'm in L.A., um, I'm, I'm, no one's getting out and getting in their car to go drive three hours or two hours or an hour just to go watch 10 minutes of video to give you feedback on it. It's a very... Uh, I'm going to say antiquated, not in a not in a negative sense, but antiquated is in like it's not a very efficient way of doing things. Yeah, I would have thought it was all super fast internet and everybody. Well, that's what that's basically what I do. If Marcus hires me on a movie and he directs, what I end up doing is a lot of times is uh, I have the movie in front of me. We have what's called time code, which is just a very exact uh, moment in the picture where you can actually sit there and go, okay, down to the frame. This is where this music starts, right? And I send them an MP3. They can drag it in, drop it exactly where I have it in my cut, and then they have control over turning it up and down. And we don't even see each other. Like he can have, he can call me and say, "Hey, I don't like this," or "I like this," or email me notes or do whatever he wants. Or we could even do Skype. But it's really not. Um, I think there's actually a lot of benefit from not being in the room with a lot of those people. But a lot of higher up companies that are still used to doing things a certain way do have a, a, a preference of how they do something, mm -hmm. you know? Marcus, how much does it change a movie when you get that music, when you're producing a movie and someone sends you that, you get that from Andrew or another writer, how much does it change the movie at that moment? We recently just got the um, opening credits to our last film, uh, Dirt Road to Lafayette, before we submit to Sundance. And watching the overlay of the music changed so much. I haven't even seen the rough cut yet because I knew that, you know, giving the director that first opportunity to see the rough cut, do what they need to do, make their decisions, and then I know the music is going to add so much more to, to creating or enhancing the pace that the director has already established and finding the right nuances. But as Andrew was saying, as an actor, most of the ADR work I do, ADR is automated dialogue replacement. So when I'm on a set or wherever and there's residual noise, sometimes my uh, delivery is not as clear as they would like it to be in the final cut. So I'll go into a studio, watch myself um, say the words and try to mimic exactly the feeling on the day. Not trying to enhance the performance, but just give them exactly what I gave them on that day to make a, a clean recording. All of that's done digitally. You know, uh, we'll have a director in L.A. or wherever that director may be. I'll be somewhere in Louisiana. Uh, usually, sometimes when I'm already on set, we'll book something in another location. And all of it's coordinated in remote locations. We sold that Hollywood dream. You're meant to be when you're 18. You're meant to get on a bus with $10 in your pocket and arrive in Hollywood. And, and get established. You risk it all to go somewhere else. And there's, I think there's a, there's a bonding element to people in Los Angeles of, like, we've all uprooted ourselves and moves. We've worked, you know? yeah, we've worked as a waiter in this restaurant, we've paid our dues, yeah. we've been through the yeah. knocks and the... And, and, and you, know, yeah. you know, the industry, and even for actors, it's like, well, if you're a real actor, you would be in Los Angeles, yeah. as opposed to in another location. So both of you are involved in this industry that does have that whole, you know, I want to be famous, I'm going to do that, but both of you are also very logical and business-minded. So what do you just say to someone when they talk about just, you know, if I can find my passion, then everything just magically clicks into place? <laughs> <laughs> after, after you've laughed, obviously. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, I did a, um, a guest lecture this week, actually, at SLCC in a business class. And one thing that I kind of reiterated 
was that organization planning, reevaluating your plan and making those adjustments are key, but having a path, what are your goals? And setting those goals and finding the path, reverse engineering it from that goal back to where you are now, and then reevaluating that path is key. And let's just say you wanna go 100 miles to this destination and you're moving on that path. Let's just say at some point you get to 75 miles. You're able to see your progress. You got 25 miles left to get to that goal. Maybe or maybe not, you might not get to that 100 mile mark, but you had a great journey on the way and you can actually make the adjustments necessary. I think part of that movie industry is also there's a whole parental push. So when you were a little boy playing Star Wars in your backyard, isn't that the story? Yep. Um, your parents didn't jump in and decide that you were going to be a movie star. How did they feel when you told them you wanted to be an actor? Well, I was an actor in high school. And um, we did speech and debate. You know, I competed, traveled every weekend almost to speech and debate uh, tournaments. When I got to LSU, I went through a number of different majors, and it was my wife, Yvette, actually, who said, you know, I can see you're kind of struggling with what you want to do. I went through six different majors. What do you want to do? And she was like, I really want to add. She was like, well, then do it. And it was the first time that I had gotten the permission to be able to look at pursuing something that I really wanted to pursue. And there were concerns from my parents. Well, how are you going to eat? They're educators. They've been, you know, lifelong educators. So in that scenario, it was a challenge. But making that leap was important and having the support system to make that leap is key. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Aileen Bennett. I'm talking with actor and film producer Marcus Brown and film score composer Andrew Morgan Smith. What about you, Andrew? When, did you ever just want to be a rock star or did you was there always this kind of sensible business side to your creativity? Uh, so for a long time I thought I was going to do uh, engineering. Uh, I always loved how things functioned and how things worked and, and enjoyed seeing all that. But I really, um, I had a point where um, I was in high school and I, and, I, and I always had loved film music and I had grown up doing music, you know, for, uh, started piano lessons when I was in first grade. So I'd been, and my, my dad, uh, who became a lawyer originally, he had a, you know, he was a tuba performance major and then became a journalist and then he, then he went to law school because he thought it would make him a better journalist and then he became a lawyer. So he definitely had a very colorful uh, background, you know, but he, uh, you know, I was gonna, I was thinking about doing this and then I saw Pirates of the Caribbean and for some reason that movie like clicked with me musically, like musically clicked with me and I saw it a bunch. Um, and I ended up saying, well, I'd really love to do this. And I started looking at it from a, from a, like, how do I, how would I do this? Right. And I talked to a number of composers, and um, something that came across very strongly to me is that you don't need a degree to do this. And in fact, like, in some ways, in some industries, uh, or I shouldn't say some industry, in some ways, like, if, you, if someone comes up to you and says, well, I got a degree from Full Sail or whatever, they just go, okay, but what, what's your demo material? What do you, what do, you do? Like, what's you, what do you look like, or what do you sound like? What are you doing, right? You said you talked to a number of producers. Where do you just find producers to go and talk to? It's well, this like... was this was uh, a few composers, so it actually okay. just kind of worked out where I had met. Um, you just happened to know. Some. Well, well, actually, my my aunt and uncle who live in Richmond, Virginia, knew a composer. He went to their church, and so we were visiting them, and they were like, "Hey, we know this composer. You want to go talk to him?" And I said, "Hey, sure, that'd be cool." And his name is John Keltonic. He's a really nice guy, really good composer. And I go up there, and we went to his house, and we were talking, and. He was basically like, you know, 
you, he's like, you don't need a music degree for this, you know? Like, I, he's like, I have a, I think it was a psychology degree. I could be totally wrong, but he, he had some other degree. And he's like, I just, I kind of fell into this and I decided that this is what I wanted to do. Both of you have got successful careers in, in like some kind of craft, music, acting. How much do you still practice your craft? How much do you still have to learn and how much time do you put into that? Or are you at a stage where it's like, no, I've got it now and I don't have to do that? Um, <clears throat> there's a book by Sanford Meisner and the introduction to that book basically says um, on acting, um, you can't really call yourself an actor until you've been practicing the craft for 20 years. And rereading... How long do you have to go, Marcus? Well, uh, <laughs> I've, I've recently, let's just say, uh, passed that point. And rereading that book gave me the um, comfort and confidence to know that it is an ongoing, uh, lifelong learning process. And sharing that with other individuals is key. And Andrew, do you still play just for fun or to practice and get better at what you do, or is it all just computers these days? Um, I play in a group in town. I play in a big band, but um, I would love to play more in a non-work-related uh, situation. But I play, you know, I'll like record myself playing stuff at work, and um, I mean, I feel like it really has become a little bit of a. I mean, it's a job, you know. I mean music can be you can be passionate about music and, and I can be very passionate about what I'm writing but it's very draining and it's sometimes hard like people will ask me like well what do you listen to whenever you're in the car and I'm like well and it, it this, sounds weird this show obviously but yeah I mean 100% out to lunch all day long <laughs> but also in addition to that uh, I, I mean I listen to like top 40 and people are blown away like they, they look at me like I'm crazy but it's because it's very simple, it's very easy, easily accessible, whereas what I'm doing all day long is very like conceptual and having, it's not, it's not something that's necessarily easily accessible very quickly. So something that's, and I'm actually kind of looking around for hobbies, but, <laughs> but you know, I'm doing sure something Marcus a little different. Marcus has got some suggestions after the show. <laughs> Marcus, Andrew, this is the part of the show that we call Another Great Idea. Maybe you've got a friend like this, someone who's always got a great idea for you. <laughs> they tell you about this job you should apply for, or that guy you should have a cup of coffee with, or a great investment opportunity that you should jump on now. You can take advice like this and it turns out to be a disaster. You can dismiss this advice and miss out on something that might have turned out really great. Or you can take your friend's advice and it turns out to be the best thing that ever happened to you. Do you have an example in your life or career of a friend who has a great idea for you? Did you take their advice? How did it turn out? Well, what's interesting is that question particularly is happening, coming full circle to me right now. Uh, a couple of years ago, I did a show, uh, a movie called Big Mama's House 2. And one of the individuals was Dan Loria uh, that I worked with. And we were in the hotel. Dan Loria was the dad on The Wonder Years. And... Um, you know, we saw each other in the gym, and he's like, hey, how's it going? We kind of connected. We didn't know one another, and he's like, you know, let's grab some dinner. I can imagine you were on the treadmill next to each other. I forgot what I was doing, but probably <laughs> weights. I'm not Just a big treadmill fan. Looking in the mirror. <laughs> From time to time. Thank you, Aileen. Is this recording? Uh, so... Uh, he invited me to dinner and basically, you know, I uh, said, of course, you know, you've got a veteran actor. I'd love to, you know, pick your brain. And uh, one of the things that he shared with me was that, what do you want to do? And I told him, you know, as an actor, I also want to produce and kind of set my own destiny, really. And uh, he said, remember this, you don't have to do everything. There are so many individuals who are talented in so many different areas that you can engage them to achieve your vision. And... Um, 
Um, for example, writers, you know, it's like you don't have to write the screenplay yourself. There's so many writers that want an opportunity to write. If you tell them what they want to, what you want to see, they'll be happy to do that for that opportunity. And I really took that advice and I'm about to start another project called um, The Eagle and the Abatross in Pennsylvania. And the director, um, we did some work about a year and a half ago on a project, project called Heart Baby that'll be in theaters this uh, fall. And he gets these little promos in just there. As, as organically as possible, <laughs> but thanks for calling attention to it. Um, but then uh, after that point, she said, uh, hey, our, our, our lead is Dan Laurie. I said, oh, I worked with him you know, years ago. He get, really gave me some sage advice. And I said, well, what did he tell me? And I shared the story with her. And I really look forward to sh- re-sharing that experience and how much it had an impact on me. That finding the right people and connecting with the right people and not thinking you have to do it all yourself. And I'm still learning that. Even, you know, working with Yvette, my wife, and finding the different parts and what complements one another and everything else. Finding the right people, giving them the opportunity, providing them with the opportunity is really, really key. Andrew, what great advice have you taken or completely ignored? Quick question to Marcus. Do you think he'll remember giving you the advice? Oh, no, probably not. <laughs> he'll remember me and the experience, yeah, but he's yeah. like, I said that? Yeah. As long I, as I'm he's surprised. Like, I was totally drunk. Or, or, or no, 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 no not, 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 not Dan. What if he uh, says, I said that? Oh, no, I didn't mean that. Yeah, yeah. Never do that. That's terrible like, advice. I was oh, like, wow. Horrible. I was like, you've set my whole <laughs> life my entire on life. path. <laughs> what do I do now? It's like Forrest Gump and everybody's running behind him. He's yeah, like, yeah. well, what now? You stop running. Yeah. Um, as I mean, I actually, you know, I mean, I, I'm glad Marcus had a had a work answer for this because mine is as well. I've had some really interesting, you know, and like really interesting advice about you know what to do as a composer. You know, whenever I was in in high school, whenever I first decided, hey, I kind of really I want to, uh, you know, I'd love to. Thank you very much. I'd love to pick up, you know, doing writing writing music, and. Uh, and my band director, who I really like, uh, but and he was—he's a, a great guy. But he was like, "Well, write what you know. Write band music." And I was like, "Well, but it's not what I really want to do, you know." And then I, in high, in college, they were doing the first festival. Uh, I, I, I'm going to say it's Idix, but it was like I D I D X or something. And they had a film music panel, so I was like, "Oh, awesome! I'm going to go." So a friend of mine who also wanted to be a film composer, we both went to this panel, and it was much more. Uh, like how to get your music into film. It was a little more music supervisor oriented. Well, there was a guy on the panel uh, who was a, who was a composer or had done stuff with composition. And we went over to him afterwards. We we're like, you know, we both really want to be a film composer. And he goes, and we were like, what well, do you have any advice for us? He's like, right. He's like, stick to your roots. Write Cajun music. And we were both like, Ugh. all right. And down the road, I ended up replacing the people who I ended up replacing him as people who was working and that's, with him. It's common advice given it to us. It's write what you know, do what you know. What have you guys done that you didn't know how to do? Everything. <laughs> I mean, like, for me, it's literally, I often have conversations where I get, the director calls me and says, and actually it's happened to me on the last few TV movies I've done. Um, the company that I work for has really gotten into doing, like, very genre-y shark movies. So, Trailer so Park Shark? Well, so like Trailer Park Shark or Ozark Shark or Mississippi River Shark or whatever. And like, and even I'm about to do a Christmas movie that takes place in Mississippi. 
And like, does it have? Is it like Christmas shark? No, it's not Christmas shark. But unfortunately, um, I think I think we might have an idea to talk yeah, about Marcus. But uh, center shark. So many times, so many times, I get a phone call that says, "Hey, we really want blues on this, or we really want." bluegrass on this and we really want and XYZ. do you just say yes and then, we can do yeah, that yeah pretty much you say sure I'll, I'll see what I can do and then I hang up the phone and I google it you know Marcus, I mean, do you say yes, like if there's a role you think you want do you say yes I can do that if they say can you ride horses can you jump from planes are you the person that says yes and then goes to find out how to do it sometimes what um, have you said yes to that you didn't say well I said yes for example um, for different scenarios but you know uh, one director said, hey, can you ride a horse? Yes. Can you ride a horse in water? Um, I'm not afraid to. Um, there was another film that said, can you play golf? Yes. You didn't ask how well I played golf. So did you I? immediately sneak off for golf lessons? Um, let me give you one that I did. I this did is a just movie. between us. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's right, because we're not waves. recording. Right. Um, would you feel comfortable being in a horror movie, and have you had any experience being a coroner? I was like, I will. And <laughs> I went and interviewed a few coroners in town and made those connections. Very interesting lifestyle, very interesting experiences that they've had. They still get scared, just to let you know. It's still. And so, you know, playing one in a horror movie was key. And having those insights, going out, it, that's the fun part. Making the time to learn new things in order to become more proficient at what you're being asked to do. The film business at the end of the day is just another business. It comes with the same stresses that come with any business, maybe more. But then again, you two guys are making movies. and Well, that's just more glamorous than what most of us are doing. Marcus and Andrew, all of us here in Acadiana, are proud of you both. Not just because you're from here, but for living here and managing to succeed in Hollywood on your own terms. We look forward to keeping up with your continued success and especially look forward to hearing you thank us all by name in your acceptance speech at the Academy Awards one of these days. Thank you both for taking the time to join me today on Out to Lunch. Thank you very much. Thank you, it was a pleasure. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been actor and film producer Marcus Brown and film and TV composer Andrew Morgan-Smith. You can find out more about Marcus's and Andrew's movies and TV shows by following the links on our websites, krvs.org and itsacadiana.com. Today's show was recorded live over lunch at Social Southern Table and Bar in Lafayette. Social is open six days a week for lunch and dinner with brunch on Sundays. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Morrell. Our researcher is Anne Christian. Our theme song, Encore Mission Nice Guy, is written by Mitch Foreman and performed by Mitch Foreman and Andre Michaud. Our Acadiana business consultants are Pete Prados from Innovate Acadiana, Zach Barker from The Opportunity Machine, and Dr. Blake Escaday. If you want to know what we all look like, you can find photos from this show on our website, itsacadiana.com, and on our It's Acadiana Facebook page. These photos were taken by Gwen Okran. You can get this show and past show as a podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can keep up with us on all kinds of social media by going to our website, itsacadiana.com. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsacadiana.com and KRVS 88.7 FM. 
I'm Aileen Bennett. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the lunch table for more business Acadiana style on Out to Lunch. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. Additional support comes from Short & Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas, from Wyndham Garden Lafayette, located off Pinhook, near Carly's Saloon. Wyndham Garden Lafayette is a pet and family-friendly hotel with reception space for large and intimate events, free parking, free Wi-Fi, and a free shuttle within three miles that includes the airport and downtown restaurants. Want five-star service from a financial institution you can trust? Whitney Bank has you covered with nearly 200 locations across the Gulf South and products for businesses of all sizes. Learn more at HancockWhitney.com. Member FDIC.